If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. I'm Alex Rorty. And I'm Andrea Dresch. And we're two political reporters here in D.C. who are going to do something radically different. We're not going to obsess about Donald Trump. That's right. Here at McClatchy, we have eyes and ears on the ground in 30 newsrooms across the country, keeping up with the voters who will determine this fall's election in November. As we enter the home stretch of this election season, we've invited back our friends Lou Jacobson and Aaron Schrockman from PolitiFact for a special deep dive on the claims political candidates are making in their ads and speeches and debates. Lou's a correspondent, and Aaron is the executive director of the Nimble Fact-Checking site. They're going to share their favorite falsehoods and half-truths from the midterm election trail. We've been spending a lot of times really getting down at the district level, looking for advertisements, looking at mailers, looking even at text messages that are automated going out to voters. We've been covering a lot of these ads here, and candidates are not letting up with November 6th around the corner. All right, you ready, Andrea? Let's do it. So we just thought with only one week before the election, we would take a step back from the nonstop talk about our Democrats going to win the House or our Republicans going to expand their majority in the Senate. All good questions, of but course. But don't stop listening. We have something for you. <laughs> but we do. We do have something for you. We want to talk about the substance. Uh, we want to talk about the substance of the attacks from both sides and really dive in and see whether or not the attacks that you see on TV or that you read about um, are true or not. I know it's a crazy concept and we're going to spend the whole episode on it and hopefully afterward you'll have a much better sense of who's telling the truth and, and maybe who's telling a pants on fire lie. So we brought in the experts. Aaron, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy to be here. And Lou, thank you as well. We are getting both of you at the, the same time. It really truly must be a week before the election if we need double the fact-checking power here. Yes, spanning D.C. and Florida, the uh, political <laughs> capital of the world, right? That's, that's, that's right. <laughs> and uh, definitely in this newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Ted Cruz said this on October 16th with the Republican-backed tax cut, quote, we're seeing With the that tax cut, today. we're seeing the results, and today, to date, Federal tax revenues have gone up. We gave that a half true. And it's kind of funny because after our piece came out, Ted Cruz attacked us for being too harsh. And Paul Krugman of the New York Times, liberal economist, uh, attacked us for being too soft. Um, so so you're, you're maybe, in, in some respects, you're right where you want to be. Uh, yes, yes, And yet definitely. this doesn't seem like something where there would be a ton of gray area. <laughs> yeah, explain. So explain, let's, yeah, let's no. get into it, because we have seen this has shown up across the, the 2018 map. This was a big point of discussion when they were being passed, mm -hmm. right? Whether or not this would lead to more tax revenue, like mm -hmm. Republicans argue, or if it would lead to less tax revenue, like Democrats argue. Lou, what, what did you guys find when you dove into this? The first branch is to look at the numbers, which is just pure dollars collected from one year to the next. That actually did go up. So that was the 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 truthful part of what Cruz said. However, Cruz's I was going to say that felt like an important. However, <laughs> yes, felt very like a, important. A, a, a weighty. However, definitely. First of all, uh, despite the fact that it's a kind of a roaring economy right now, it was only up by zero point four percent. With the state of the economy going so well now, you would expect it to be much better than that. So, so it's, 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 it is really low historically. Right. You're, you would expect that because the economy is doing so well that revenues would, would go up and probably go up a lot more than they did. Correct. what you're saying. Look, what Ted Cruz said was that federal revenues went up. And so that part, federal revenues did go up. There is less evidence to support a more specific claim, though, that the tax cuts that the Republicans passed boosted tax revenue here. I mean, is that is that a fair assessment? 
The thing I would add here is that, and what's misleading about this particular claim is that, quite frankly, it's going to take us a couple years to really start to understand what federal revenues have done uh, related to the 2017 tax cut. So on its face, Ted Cruz is trying to say something when we really haven't run the race yet. You know, we're kind of in the first couple of laps. And, And quite frankly, besides the data really undercutting him, we don't have a full picture of what's going on. And so the broader takeaway here is in claims like these, I think we all need to do uh, a little bit better to be more cautious and skeptical of what politicians are saying and how we hear it. This is actually a claim, by the way, that we've heard trickle down to congressional races. Don Bacon, who's the Republican running in Nebraska, too, made a very similar claim outside of Omaha in his race against Kara Eastman. So this is clearly a talking point Republicans are using, saying the tax cut is working, but the data doesn't really support it. And we don't have a really have enough data even to make really in it totally informed analysis. And so I think for those two reasons, this claim is is fairly misleading by Cruz. Okay, so our next claim, continue along the lines of the, the discussion on this massive tax bill, the, the biggest accomplishment of, of Republican-controlled Congress for the past two years. Uh, we have a claim from Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin who says that You know, my opponent backed that plan where 83% of the benefits go to the top 1% of individuals and large multinational corporations on the corporate side. We gave this a half true. I mean, you hear Democrats say this talking point. I can't tell you the number of times. Every every Democratic politician in the country without fail uh, cites that statistic. Right. And basically what it boils down to is that the impact of the tax law on, on the average taxpayer or typical taxpayer is fairly generous in the early years and then becomes very regressive. In other words, uh, a much better deal for the richest taxpayers about 10 years out. Have, Are, you Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me Absolutely shocking. My goodness. I'm glad we're doing this show. <laughs> so specifically in 2018, that's the first full year the tax bill is going to be affecting the tax code, um, the bill would give 20.5% of the benefits to the top 1%. Now, that's a fairly large number, but it's also worth noting that uh, that in general, our our tax system is a progressive tax system, so people on the upper end are expected to pay a larger percentage of their income for taxes. And the other thing is the tax law changed how inflation is calculated um, in a way that, that is less generous to taxpayers, particularly those in the middle class. So basically, again, here's a case where the Democrats are focusing on 2027. The flip side of this are lots of claims uh, by the GOP saying that this is great for the average taxpayer. And they have a point if you're looking at the next year or the next couple of years. And basically, both sides can define what they want in this tax bill and sort of tout only that. Okay, so Aaron, we're going to shift from Wisconsin to the state next door, Minnesota, specifically Minnesota's first congressional district, where the Republican nominee there, Jim Hagedorn, had this to say about his Democratic opponent, Dan Fian. He says, Dan Fian, quote, Fian would vote with Pelosi for open borders and amnesty. Yeah, this claim rates false on the truthometer. Basically, this is an attack that we're seeing in a lot of tight congressional races. This race in Minnesota 1 is seen as one of the true toss-ups around the country. It's really thought of as being able to flip either way. So you're seeing a lot of outside spending from the Congressional Leadership Fund, the DCCC, other kind of third-party interest groups supporting Republicans and Democrats. We've seen this type of attack before in Congress when essentially the Republicans are trying to kind of tie the Democrat to Nancy 
Pelosi's and then some of the far progressive liberal policies that we're talking about in some circles in democratic politics, but really uh, you wouldn't say are the prevailing view um, or even um, necessarily not even in the mainstream. So there is some debate about what amnesty is. However, we can tell you that uh, there's nothing in uh, Dan Fian's positions that supports either open borders or total amnesty. Aaron, did you consider that? He's talking about the, the border to Canada <laughs> and not, not the border to Mexico. Was not considered. Thank you. <laughs> the invasion of Canadians. That'll be something to row up uh, people in Minnesota. So I, well, we're going to continue with the fact check here in a second. But, I, you know, I had this question um, for both Lou and, and Aaron based on your subjective sense of things, are either party engaging in, in more of this than we normally see? You know, so one of the things at PolitiFact, we're tracking 18 House races specifically this fall, races that we identified as toss-ups or too close to call. What I can tell you is the attacks, the tenor, the style, the velocity of the attacks really don't feel all that much different than other previous midterm elections or other election cycles that we've seen. So you're seeing a lot of the real traditional hallmark attacks, which is generally either someone's trying to take away your Social Security or Medicare benefits. On the other side, someone's going to try to raise your taxes. And then this talk about immigration, obviously, is kind of a bleed over from 2016. So to me, what I would say is it really kind of fits a more typical pattern of of electioneering. Uh, I think when we started this campaign, a lot of us were worried at PolitiFact and other fact-checking organizations about kind of organized, malicious misinformation efforts online. I'm certainly seeing a lot more news organizations kind of putting things to their, their own truth tests, helping people understand what's right or wrong. So I think that's a, a positive benefit of what we've seen out of this election. But again, uh, to me, it feels about the same. I know for a lot of people it might feel uh, way worse, and, and part of that is because where you're watching your television, what ads you're seeing. Maybe that's exciting news for our industry. <laughs> getting better at our jobs. Are we getting better? Wow. That's, it's the rare positive thing said about the media uh, in just about any context these said days. Said by the media. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point. We'll take it, though. We'll take anything we can get. And one thing I would say also is that um, for strategic reasons, I think Democrats have not been pounding away at the sort of Trump personality stuff, which one could have thought that they would do because it, it can be a powerful message for them. But I think that they feel that that I think voters already have that in the front of their minds, so they don't need to feed that. Instead, what Democrats have been advertising, pro- probably the biggest topic of all, has been pre-existing additions, health care. All right. Well, let's move on to our fourth fact check here. We have Leah Vukmir, who's the Republican running against Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, who said in a October 19th debate that Tammy Baldwin's Medicare for All plan means senior citizens will no longer have Medicare. We gave that a mostly false. We've been hearing this a bit. Uh, it, it is kind of a talking point that we've heard in a couple of campaigns. So the GOP is taking aim at the Democrats, um, I guess you could say, vulnerability in health care being the Medicare for All program, which is basically a single payer what the GOP calls socialized medicine. Um, and there there are certainly issues with that. But since they're playing defense on on the question of pre-existing conditions, they're now trying to go on offense against the Democrats as being too radical. They've taken aim at this proposal, which um, has support from uh, S- Senator Bernie Sanders, among others, uh, on the left, um, who want to basically um, turn the Medicare program into a national health care system uh, where basically everybody's part of it. 
Um, and there are legitimate criticisms. People can argue over, uh, you know, how much it would cost, if we could afford it, if the fiscal impact would be sustainable. That said, is this feasible? Is it workable? Fair questions. But in terms of what the proposal says, they are really mischaracterizing it. And, and I should say, I mean, this is candidate's attack on Medicare is usually a step further than you see a lot of other Republican candidates who say it'll weaken Medicare or hurt Medicare. Mm-hmm. They usually don't say it'll end Medicare, mm-hmm. um, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looked at as a, a race that by all appearances is not going well for the uh, for Leah Vukmir. So maybe that, that's why yeah. she needed she decided to dial up the attack a little bit. Yep. Aaron, let's uh, let's dive in to a specific issue um, in a marquee race in, in Texas Seven. This is something that Lizzie Fletcher, the Democratic nominee, uh, said in an ad. She said that John Culverson got $680 million for a telescope in South America and voted against fixing dams and FEMA funding to prevent flooding. Now, this is an issue of significant importance, particularly about flooding in Houston after Hurricane Harvey last year. Aaron, how did you guys rate this one? Yeah, this claim rates mostly false on the truthometer, which to us means there's a shred of truth, but it really takes things out of context. Obviously, this is uh, another kind of one of those tight races to look at in Texas. People are talking about, does Beto, uh, his turnout machine, help someone like Lizzie Fletcher uh, against the uh, incumbent John Culberson there in the uh, West Houston suburbs? Um, You know, uh, Lizzie Fletcher here is looking at some votes Culberson took while in Congress, uh, but kind of scrunching them together to make them look really bad when you kind of kind of expand them back out and kind of look at them in isolation. Uh, it doesn't quite look the same way as the 30-second TV ad. Uh, basically, here's the story. Culberson chairs a committee that did allocate money for space projects and more than doubled the amount that a telescope, a telescope group got in 2019. Um, So that's where the $680 million comes from. However, uh, that was already within the total cost of the overall project. So basically, the money was already accounted for. It wasn't spending additional money. It was just allocating it toward this one particular project. And of course... Uh, what's really important is kind of the contrast here. This is money that could not be transferred to flood relief. So really, the $680 million has nothing to do with fixing dams or providing FEMA funding to prevent flooding in Houston, Texas, or anywhere else in the country. Now, when you look at the actual kind of uh, measures when it comes to fixing dams and FEMA funding, they're also misleading. Um, Culberson did vote against two measures, one in 27, two, excuse me, Culberson did vote vote against two measures, one in 2007 and another in 2013, that had to do with fixing dams and and providing FEMA funding. Um, But the first bill, the 2007 bill, would have provided money to fix publicly owned dams uh, and excluded the federally owned dams or structures that impacted Houston during Harvey. Uh, So for instance, on that particular vote, the fixes, the money wouldn't have fixed the problem. And that's important to note. The second problem uh, here is on the 2013 vote, as Culberson did vote against an amendment to increase funding for FEMA programs by $25 million. However, he did vote for a final version of the bill, which included an additional $7.65 million for FEMA, and that's besides money already in place for training first res- responders in the disaster relief fund. So, 
put it all together, you kind of have a cocktail here that's pretty misleading. Uh, Lizzie, Lizzie Fetcher kind of taking on John Col Colperson and holding to him to account for how Washington is spending its money and whether or not he's bringing that money home to Houston. But the actual specifics of the ad kind of... Uh, uh, kind of fall apart under further scrutiny, and that's why we rated it mostly false. Important, important thing to know, I mean, Texas 7, really one of the most key, uh, most important battlegrounds across the electoral map, as we've discussed on this show. Uh, so a an attack worth worth noting and, and knowing more about the truth. Uh, <laughs> it's not exactly, not exactly a factual attack on John Culberson. All right, this one's a favorite of both Alex and mine, uh, and where Alex is headed tomorrow in Illinois 6. Peter Roskam, who is the Republican in that race, uh, in a debate appearance on October 22nd, he says that a, a Washington Post fact check charged that he opposed pre-existing condition protections for health insurance and gave that four Pinocchios. What say you? We said pants on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so you're fact-checking the fact that a candidate said the attacks against him had been fact-checked. By, by a rival fact-checker. By a rival fact-checker. I think I have that right. What, I, okay, we, th this is kind of a, a remarkable thing, right, to, yeah. to falsely claim that an attack against you has been fact-checked, when in fact... No, that's that's not the case. Right. I mean, this is uh, kind of an example of the weaponization of fact checks. And, uh, you know, we have no quibble with people who are running for office and cite, you know, if we said they said something that was true, then it's fine to say that we said something that they said was true. Or uh, if their opponent says uh, that they said something is false, that's also perfectly fine for them to do. Here's a case where a candidate um, got a negative rating from a fact checker, and yet they said it actually supported their own own stance. Um, this is pretty outrageous. I yes. mean, let me just say that it's yes. a pretty outrageous thing to do. Yes, and um, so it turns out that he is not the only lawmaker who has done this um, uh, on this exact same fact check. Glenn Kessler, our colleague at the Washington Post, our friendly rival who did the fact check, found out that people were uh, using his fact check to say the exact opposite of what his fact check said, uh, he sort of uh, did some crowdsourcing and and uh, tweeted out, you know, have you heard your candidate uh, in your area say something um, about this fact check? And uh, he got about seven or eight, maybe nine districts um, where a GOP candidate had used basically the same talking point, saying that the Washington Post fact checker, fact check uh, supports me, supports my stance, and that was wrong. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, um, it's not unprecedented, um, but it's pretty uh, it's pretty bold for them to be saying this. I mean, Aaron, I was going to say, have you have you ever seen anything like this before? We've at Politifact, I'd say we have seen. Uh, ads using PolitiFact's ratings out of context or misleading. Um, I can remember an example where we rated something half true, and I think the ad maker just forgot the half part and just said PolitiFact said it was true, because um, I guess we did technically use that word. Um, you know, that it, it is interesting uh, and, and always a really fun example of, you know, partisans tend not to like fact checkers until they give us a, they, we give them a rating that's supports their cause. And then for all of a sudden on that one, we like we found God and we uh, are saying the most smart things. Um, but yeah, uh, the other thing I would say is, I guess, in the fact checker code, <laughs> uh, which is unwritten, but maybe we should write it down. 
uh, is that if you uh, take us out of context, we're going to come down pretty harsh on you because we think that, you know, our credibility uh, is really paramount, paramount and important to us and to readers and voters. And so if you say something that we didn't say, uh, we're going to notice and we're going to call you out on it. Oh boy, vengeful bunch. Yeah, but 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 <laughs> with, but with reason. I mean, your your credibility is all you have, and when someone distorts that, uh, I think call me crazy. You have reason to be upset about that. Aaron, Lou, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. So before we get to our next segment, we wanted to tell you about something pretty cool going on in one of our McClatchy newsrooms. Sportsbeat KC is the Kansas City Star's five-day-a-week sports podcast, bringing you episodes on the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and college football and basketball every afternoon, Monday through Friday, in time for your commute. Search for Sportsbeat KC on SoundCloud to listen or subscribe through your favorite podcasting app. Now back to the show. You know, Andrea, that's an awful lot of substance for us. And of course, we embrace that here on Beyond the Bubble. But but let's just have a short moment of politics before we end the show with what else but our lightning round. Andrea, you're up first. Ready, set, go. Right. I want to use mine uh, to call attention to a HuffPost story that posted last night on a the 22nd congressional district in Texas near you, Alex but not on anyone's watch list this cycle. Um, the incumbent Pete Olson said at a campaign event, he called his opponent an Indo-American carpetbagger. Um, his opponent actually grew up in Houston. Speaking of fact checks, we can all use them. <laughs> so we're not quite done with a fact check is what you're telling me. Yes. We're going to keep that going. And Andrea, you got it well under th- in 30 seconds. You're such a professional at this. You make the rest of us look bad. All right. You ready to time me? Of course. You ready? Let's do it. Go. Okay. Well, I'm going to shift the conversation back to politics. I know everyone ahead of next week's election is looking for maybe a surprise race, a Republican incumbent in the House who might fall. If, in fact, it does end up being a difficult election for the GOP, here's a name for you, Steve King. Now, Steve King is in a deeply Republican- The Steve King? The Steve King, a deeply Republican Iowa district. But there was a poll that came out just this week that showed his race effectively tied. Now, polling is, of course, a little dicey. We don't know. But he is, he's not running a real campaign. He's not raising any money. Those are the sort of things that happen that can presage a candidate, even an entrenched incumbent like Steve King, from losing. Maybe one if you're a Democrat looking for surprises next week. That's a district Iowa for to keep an eye on. Well, shoot, Capitol Hill will never be the same. <laughs> if, in fact, he loses, I mean, look, who who knows, right? I can't tell you how many political operatives have told me the last few weeks, even after they confidently tell me about what they see as the election, well, what's going to happen, and then at some point they'll digress and say, yeah, but nobody knows anything. Fair enough. <laughs> at least they're being honest, right? Well, you were only 13 seconds over on okay. this one. I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the privilege. I'm going to take the extra time. You, the listener, you need predictions like that. That's why you turn into the show, right? We will be back here Monday with a special election episode, breaking down the final takes from our ground game coverage with Alex and our colleague Katie Glitt. Yeah. You know, one last preview before the election. And then uh, the next time you'll hear us after that, we'll know what will have happened on November 6th. It's so exciting. I can't wait to find out what's going to happen. We'll see you then. Thank you to producer Jordan Marie Smith. And thank you, our listeners. We want to hear from you. So please send your questions and your comments to btb at mcclatchy.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash beyondthebubblepod. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground states. We might even ask you to call into the show. And check us out on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. We want to say thank you to everyone who's left us a review or a rating. Talk Talk to to you you next week. week.